Alright everyone, hello and welcome to a special Monday-ish edition of the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast. I am Robert Winfrey, I am your host. Uh, this was going to be done yesterday, but... Uh, sorry, I suppose we should start on the... Do- uh, yeah, this is coming out a day late because of some news that broke Sunday. That was There was news going to be breaking on Monday. And I figured, alright, I'll put it off for a day to... Listen to that so I can be fully informed when I talk about what we're going to talk about first up, which will be the UFC 249 situation and its status, so we'll get into some of that. Uh, There was no show last week because the only thing to talk about would have been John Jones, and maybe I could have, we could have done something with that, but uh, now we have more information than we did then, so I, I don't feel badly about taking a week off. Uh, in lieu of the normal show, there I did release, I'll get this plug out of the way, a kind of skill study and career retrospective on Dominic Cruz that I had a lot of fun doing. So hopefully, if you are listening to that, to this, find that and give it a listen. I would appreciate it. I put a fair amount of time and energy into those things, so please. Uh, and give me feedback if you're so inclined. Uh, I've got another one coming that was requested, one on Shogun. That should be coming out in the next couple of weeks. I'm just kind of trying to keep myself busy. So be on the lookout for that. If you have a, you know, fighter you'd like to hear a retrospective skills study kind of thing look at, uh, let me know. You can find me on Twitter at WinFreeMMA, and I would be happy to field requests in that respect. Uh, yeah, that's kind of the intro for the moment, so let's go ahead and get to the, I suppose meat and potatoes is about as good a descriptor as anything. Uh, UFC 249, we do have an update on this event. Uh, last week, in fact, just about the day after I recorded the show, Khabib Nurmagomedov officially announced he was, he didn't say I'm definitely out, but he did say... I'm in Russia, Uh, there's travel restrictions in place, I'm still willing to fight if there's a location, but there isn't, and it just doesn't seem like this is very viable. Um, Khabib did a full interview with Brett Okamoto that you can find on YouTube, which I highly recommend. Khabib talks about a lot of the situation that he was dealing with. I mean, the, the basic kind of breakdown is he was in California at AKA, and AKA was essentially shut down, apart from a couple of hours a day when Khabib was training. California went into a pretty serious lockdown situation, and he could no longer get training the kind of training that he wanted. So he went back to Russia, where he could train and be with his family during the midst of, you know, a global pandemic. I mean, for crying out loud, if all he had said was, Given the state of the world, I'm not comfortable fighting. I want to be with my family right now. No one in the world should have had anything negative to say about it. But he he had plenty of reasons. Um, again, this I'm not sure how confirmed this is, but there's kind of a bit that floated around that you know, the UFC told him the, that uh, 249 was... Something like uh, 99% going to be taking place in the United Arab Emirates. So he and his team kind of tried to get down there and know the UAE had actually closed the borders to all non-citizens. Um, and 
there's a travel ban right now on Russia, so... And one of the things that that really annoys me that has kind of come out lately is the this cadre of morons that A, think Khabib is running from Tony Ferguson or this fight. That is... I'm, I'm just going to, very briefly, that is a ridiculous, absurd, out-of-touch-with-reality claim. If Khabib were afraid of Tony or running from this fight, he would never have signed to begin with. Yet he has. Five times. You're talking about a man who comes from one of the most war-torn, unstable places in the world. Fights for a living is undefeated in his career, is the undisputed UFC lightweight champion, bear in mind, the most difficult division to succeed in in the sport. And you're going to accuse this guy of running? It's ridiculous. That is absolutely ridiculous. He's no more running than Tony was running when he got blood in his lungs or blew out his knee. There's a global pandemic, guys. You want to know why this fight isn't happening? Why we're not getting Tony Khabib? We're not getting Tony Khabib because there's a global pandemic. Period. Full stop. End of discussion. That's it. If the world were operating normally, we'd get Tony versus Khabib on the 18th. There's nothing stopping it apart from, you know, the world shutting down. <laughs> and... Uh... Again, blaming Khabib for this is utter nonsense. Claims that he is running, utter nonsense. And to, again, any of the morons out there going, well, isn't he friends with Putin? No, he's not friends with Vladimir Putin. They've met a couple of times because he is a prominent sportsman. The notion that he could just (laughs) call up a world leader in the midst of what is probably the preeminent global crisis of the last hundred years... Hang on, let me do some math on that real quick. Okay, not quite the global, not the preeminent global crisis of the last hundred years, because that would go back to 1920, at which point we were dealing with the aftermath of World War One. So, at a minimum of the last, probably, because there have been some, there were some dicey political moments during the Cold War, but that was hardly a giant global. That wasn't that wasn't this, you know. The ability of someone to travel to get an exemption to travel in and out of the country is so far down the list of priorities that any world leader is dealing with right now. It's ridiculous. Here, I mean, if I'm the, I mean, bear in mind, I am not the president of the Russian Federation. If I were in that position, I wouldn't even take the call from someone like Khabib. I've got so many other things to worry about. This is not a circumstance that you can just call up someone, get an exemption, fly you and your team. uh, I mean, I'm going to get to the rest of this in a minute, but so again, Khabib kind of cleared the air. This is is unfortunate. I will, I mean, setting aside the, you know, tragedy of a global pandemic that is claiming thousands of lives. uh, Ramadan starts very shortly, and Khabib won't be able to train or fight during that because he observes. I mean, his public stance was push the fight with Tony to August or September, and let's do it then, which was what I thought should happen. Um, again, sadly, not 
not what we got, but we'll, we will get to that in just a minute or two, but I want to do this a little bit chronologically. So Khabib said, it's just not feasible for me to fight right now. That's unfortunate. The UFC continues to say that 249 will go on. Uh, I don't like what they've concocted here. So the UFC came out today, said they have signed Tony Ferguson versus Justin Gagey for the interim lightweight title. Uh, Okay, I've said on this program before in the past, if we never get Tony versus Gagey, it will be a crying shame because those two violent... I mean, I hesitate to find another adjective. Those two violent human beings, violent maniacs, squaring off inside the cage is, you know, very nearly can't-miss fighting action. But nothing happens in a vacuum. And we have to consider the totality of circumstance here. One, I'm going to put on my tinfoil hat here for just a second. So, this is not extreme, so bear with me. I think the UFC is trying to screw Tony. And in kind of a roundabout way. First of all, let's actually assume the fight happens. I'm not so sure it will anyway, but let's assume it does. Those two... The way they fight, they're going to take a giant physical toll on each other. Now, first of all, Tony might lose that fight. I'm picking Tony Ferguson. Let me be very, very clear about this. I favor Tony quite heavily. But are you going to be surprised if Gagey wins? Because I'm not. I mean, look, Tony Ferguson, and God bless him, the man's almost 37 years old. I mean, he's older than I am. Uh, okay, sorry, he just turned 30. He just turned 36 in February. Still, nearly 40. At lightweight. That bill comes due. And he's taken a fair bit of damage in his career. I mean, I don't know. I know a lot of you may not remember this, but the Barboza fight was kind of wild before he won. Lando Venata kicked him in the head and nearly finished him. Kevin Lee put a beating on him in the first round and a half or so of their fight. He... Tony has taken some damage. And he's getting up there in age. Now, I'm not I'm not saying he's going to... I'm not picking against him here. I'm, I'm not. I picked Tony against the division. Except for maybe Khabib. And even then, I'm not sure who I pick in that fight. But if you look at, say, the top of lightweight, let's take the top, you know, five guys. In whatever order you want to place them, you've got, what, Khabib, Tony, Poirier, Connor, and who's the last one, actually, that would fall in that list? Uh, Fly up the old rankings here. Who is number five at the moment? Hooker. Okay. So... Khabib, Tony, Poirier, Connor, Gagey, and Hooker are your top six. That's champion and the top five contenders. Is anyone surprised if any of those guys beat each other? You could match up anyone in that group, and are you surprised if somebody wins? Look, say you do Khabib-Connor rematch, which is what the UFC is trying to get to. I 
pick Khabib heavily. Would I be shocked if Connor found a way to win? No. Take Tony and Connor. I picked Tony. Would I be shocked if Connor stopped him, given how kind of wild Tony is? No. Let's say you do a Poirier. Let's say you do a Poirier McGregor rematch. I mean, uh, McGregor stopped Poirier at featherweight uh, a few years ago. Say you do the rematch at lightweight. Anybody shocked if Connor repeats? Anybody shocked if Poirier gets revenge? I mean, let's throw Gagey into the mix. You do the rematch between Gagey and Poirier. I mean, they had a great fight the first time, and uh, in the interim, since then, Gagey has kind of refined a lot of his style. He's not the same guy now that he was when they first fought. Going to be shocked if uh, Gagey pulls it off this time? Or would you be shocked if Poirier beat him again? There's, there again, there is no shock in any of those fights. There might be a, there might be a shock in methodology. Okay, if, if Connor submits Khabib, that would be genuinely shocking, right? But if Connor just found a way to win that fight, are you really shocked? Not, again, not really. They're all exceptional. So, let's start with Tony might lose, right? Let's just start there. He might. I don't think he will. But let's not pretend that's not a possibility. He very he might lose. Second, even if he wins, which I I would favor him to win, if he wins, you don't beat Justin Gagey unscathed. I mean, look at the look at what happened. At, he he and Eddie Alvarez beat the crap out of each other. Look at Dustin Poirier. He tore Dustin Poirier's. Uh, was it his quad or his hamstring? I can't remember which one it was. I think it was his quad. He tore Poirier's quad with leg kicks. And Poirier beat him. These two are going to exact an unbelievable physical toll from each other. Unless we get a very quick knockout. And history does not indicate that will be the case. If you want to beat either of these guys, you got to go to war. Point being, even if Tony wins, I'm fairly sure the UFC is going to try and hotshot McGregor versus Khabib. I think they will use kind of the excuse of Tony's recovery to circumvent his title shot again. And I am not happy about that. At all. I think if, again, I think even if Tony wins, unless he gets a quick finish and comes out of this fight unscathed, the UFC is going to keep him on the shelf. And to be fair, he might need to be on the shelf, okay? That, that, that's kind of the other thing here. If he goes through hell, and if he comes out on the other side, but if he's got to take, say, you know, four to six months to recover, if he's not ready to go in, you know, August or September... You think the UFC is going to go, you know what, no, we'll just wait? No, they're going to do, they're going to try to do Conor Khabib too, because that's the biggest money fight. And I don't want that. I want Tony versus Khabib. Straight up, plain and simple. No frills, no BS. That's what I want. And my slightly tinfoil hat theory is 
if Tony loses, I mean, look, if Tony loses, which I don't expect, but again, he might, I mean, we lose Tony versus Khabib, straight up. I don't think that they might they might get back to it. Like Tony might lose this fight, go on, win another couple, and we kind of you know sort of reconvene. But it won't be what it was. the The big drawing point for this fight right now is not just how good these two guys are. It's their streaks. These two are on unprecedented winning streaks in the deepest division the sport has to offer. And these two are beating everybody. And, again, you hate to say that if, you know, Tony loses this fight, it's just done for. I mean, I don't think his career is over. He could rebound, get back to the title. But you do kind of lose Tony versus Khabib. And it would just be... For that fight to have fallen apart through circumstances both within the control of the parties and without, uh, I mean, look, Khabib screwing up his weight cut that one time, that's on him. Tony deciding it's a good idea to wear sunglasses indoors, tripping over television cables and blowing out his knee, that's on him. Khabib getting injured, okay, injuries happen, it sucks. Tony having whatever that injury or issue with was with his lungs, injuries happen. That sucks. That's kind of out of con- out of your control in a, in a very real way. And now global pandemic. But if Tony loses and we just straight up lose that fight, and never really get it back, that would just be unbelievably on brand for the UFC, wouldn't it? For all the BS they spew about we make the fights people want to make, that's... I shouldn't say it's total BS. It's not. They do a really good job the majority of the time putting together the fights the public is interested in. That's very true. But think about the big ones that they that got away from them. There's some of the really big fights that the UFC was never able to put together. And if we lose this one based on nothing more than the stubbornness of the UFC to put on an event in contravention of all available information about how to handle ourselves during this particular pandemic. I mean, again, that would be one of the most UFC things they could possibly do. I may have just talked myself into thinking that's what's going to happen. Look, I I I still don't think the event's going to happen. But we'll get to that in a second. So, again, officially right now, Gagey versus Ferguson for the interim lightweight belt is your main event. Um, your co-main... I think the rest of the card still kind of remains. Your co-main event is supposed to be Andrade, the rematch between Jessica Andrade and Rose Namajunas. I don't think Andrade is in the country, and I'm not sure if Brazil is letting people travel out right now, but hey. Um, a light heavyweight fight between Magomed Ankalaev and Iwan Kutalaba is still on the books. I'm not sure how accurate that is. I If Ankalaev trains, is in, you know, Russia right now somewhere, uh, or I don't know where Kutalaba trains out of, 
But there's a real chance those guys can't get out of their respective countries. Yeah, Islamaki, this this card is not going to look like this. There's almost, there's so many people on this card that are, if they're not already in the United States right now, are probably not going to be able to get here. So, I can't really speak to the rest of this card because... I mean, especially when we get further down onto the preliminary portions of it. You have Mahmed Muradov, Umar Nurmagomedov, Atman Izatar. I mean, I, to be clear, this is not a knock on those fights or those fighters. But depending on their location, their physical locations right now, there's a real chance they're not able to get to wherever this event is going to be held. So... Uh... So, anyway, we still, we officially do sort of have a main event. Here's what we don't have. A venue. Uh, it's kind of being reported that the UFC is looking at somewhere on the West Coast. Now, if that's the case, there is no way this is going to be a properly sanctioned event. California, if we're talking about the United States, right, there are only three states on the West Coast. There's California, Oregon, and Washington. Washington is basically the epicenter of the... It's where corona, the coronavirus is currently doing the most damage if we're talking about the West Coast. California has currently suspended all combat sports licenses through the end of May. So they're just not going to sanction it. And... I mean, there was supposed to be a UFC event in Oregon, right? Hang on, let me, I want to make sure, because I'm pretty sure. Yeah, there was supposed to be an event uh, this coming Saturday, the 11th, uh, in Portland, Oregon. That was canceled because of the safety precautions being taken over the pandemic. So there's no way that in two weeks, a little bit less, uh, Oregon's going to suddenly change their mind. So we are not talking about an event that will be properly sanctioned by a governing body. If the UFC is going to do this, they're going to have to literally leave the country. They're going to have to find some kind of Native American reservation and put it on there. And... I know the UFC has self-regulated in the past, and I mean, even the very recent past, they go to certain locations that just don't have governing bodies. Um, so, it, to be fair, in that respect, it's not like this is totally unprecedented, even in the more recent history of the promotion. They do that when they are essentially required to out of necessity based on the location they are operating in. Not This is the first time they are actively running away from uh, essentially state oversight. And... Gotta be honest, I don't like it. I don't like... I don't think... I think that relative to, you know, seven days ago, how likely is it that this event goes off now versus then? I think in some respects it's more likely. On the other hand, let's... If we're gonna have to have this conversation, let's have this conversation. How are they gonna guarantee the safety of all parties concerned? 
I mean, look, that's the big one, right? I could talk about how fighters are not being are not able to train properly right now. Pretty much every MMA gym is shut down, right? There, no one's getting proper training. No one. So let's let's start with that. But I, I'm prepared to accept that there's a bigger concern than this fight's happening under less than ideal circumstances. I mean, Gage is taking this fight on like two weeks' notice. That's that's absurd. That's just crazy. I don't know I don't know what was done to kind of sweeten the metaphorical pot for him. But I know they offered him a, a short notice fight against Tony in the past and he turned it down because the time frame which I believe was 4 weeks wasn't adequate to prepare f- to fight, you know, a month. Tony Ferguson is the butcher of that division, right? He cuts you to pieces. He said, you know, I, I'm not afraid to fight Tony Ferguson, but I need more than four weeks to prepare for that monster. It's perfectly reasonable. So, him taking this on two weeks, uh, I don't know. I don't know what they did, but uh, they got him to sign. Anyway, the big thing, again, how are we guaranteeing safety, right? We're talking about pe- a bunch of people who are going to be traveling some significant distances. I mean, Gagey lives and trains in Colorado. That's a no- the dif- the distance he's going to be traveling and the uh, and the people he'll be encountering. That's a non-trivial risk. There's all the people involved. There's going to be Gagey and his training team and his cornerman and whatever other entourage he's going to be bringing along. Ditto Tony. Ditto everybody else on the card. So, how are you going to be able to secure COVID testing? If you can, how often are you going to be testing? Because this is a disease that we're still learning about in a lot of ways, and people can be not only asymptomatic but still contagious, but the you can be negative one day and positive the next. And we're talking about people who are going to be coming into contact with a lot of different people. What's your housing situation going to be like? You going to put them up in a hotel? Are you gonna? What kind of controls are in place for the personnel they're encountering in the hospitality industry? What kind of controls do you, do you have for not just the fighters? How about the UFC employees? How about the production staff, the cameramen, the ring crew? Are we again? What allowances are we making for their safety? Are we testing everyone involved? Because you should be. Moreover, testing itself is not this notion that. Okay, sorry. Before I move on. If you have secured that kind of testing, how responsible is it to allocate the resources nece- uh, the resources necessary to properly test for this to a superfluous athletic event when they should be going to much more necessary centers of incident? There's plenty of places that need proper COVID tests a hell of a lot more than the UFC needs to put on this event. Uh, again, and I, I know this is combat sports, the fight game, the entire ethics of it are a little bit murky to begin with. Fair enough, but really, uh, that's a pretty big question that I think they will need to have an answer for in some respect. Here's the other deal: what happens if someone tests positive? You have a lot of people dealing with each other at these events, unless the UFC does a complete overhaul 
of everything they do, not just everything they do, but how they do it ahead of these events, if one fighter or one person in their entourage or one UFC employee tests positive, there's a very real chance they've already spread it to a bunch of other people. You are the likelihood of you catching this at the the incident of infection is so small, is so small. So there's already going to be a period of time where other people have been exposed. What are you going to do about that? What if somebody you know? What if somebody tests positive on? I don't know what the full again. I don't know what the full card is going to be, but let's assume the Andrade Namunis card or fight stays on this card. And both of those fighters in their respective camps are present. And I know, I know me, Eunice, I think, trains at uh, Elevation where Gagey trains. So let's, just, let's assume that those fights are there. If someone on Andrade's team tests positive, and Nama Eunice decides, nope, I'm out, what are you going to do? You're gonna for- I know what you're going to do, UFC. You're going to throw her under the bus. Because that's what you always do in circumstances like this. To anyone who doesn't subscribe to the professional ethics of convenience for the promotion. Again, what are you going to do if an employee tests positive? And, you know, a bunch of fighters wind up saying, you know what, I don't feel comfortable with this, I'm out. And that's just from a logistical perspective about the event. Do you know what you have to do to treat someone who tests positive for this? You actually need, like, a triage center set up. Are you going to have that? You're going to have a bunch of people at this event, UFC, even if you have the bare minimum. I kind of thought, I've talked a little bit about this in the past. What's the bare minimum for the UFC to put on an event, right? We're talking personnel here. You have 13, 12 or 13 fights, so 24 to 26 fighters. Each fighter is going to have three to four uh, cornerman, and let's assume a little bit of overlap on a few of them, so let's, because again, sometimes you have, you know, similar camps, uh, the same camp will have multiple fighters, so there might be a little bit of overlap, but you're still dealing with a lot of people, with a lot of that, that's just for them. You need the judges, right? How about medical personnel? Here's a big, here's a big question for you guys, because remember, we're two weeks out from this, we have not yet, based on all available projections, hit the peak of impact that this virus is going to have here in the United States. Uh, I think the more reasonable projections are, again, this month at some point. So we might be dealing with peak outbreak. You're going to take medical personnel, because there's a couple of doctors that have to be, hey, maybe the UFC just doesn't give a crap. And we'll have an event without, you know, medical personnel on standby. Get somebody killed, and the UFC will just blithely go back to, well, we're in compliance when we're talking, when we're dealing with state governments. And no one, the UFC could actually do that. Let me be very clear about this. What This is how little I think of the majority of media in this sport and what the promotion would do. If this event goes off, if there's insufficient medical personnel present due to the overwhelming demand of dealing with the COVID outbreak, if somebody dies, there's no way the UFC will be held properly accountable for this. None. Absolutely none. They will continue on with business as usual, essentially. 
the media will maybe have a week's worth of content about it. There Again, there is no way, almost no way, that they would be properly held accountable for those actions. Dana would come out with some half-assed, it's tragic, but it's the fight game and these things happen. It's not the first time somebody's died in a cage or died in a ring. And we're going to push on because they were warriors and that's what they would have wanted. I would bet so much money on that. So much money. So, point actually being, you're going to take emergency person, so medical personnel, doctors, away from that. You're going to, you need an ambulance. I mean, you don't need, you probably will not need one by law, depending on where they go. But if they hold an event that genuinely doesn't even have, you know, emergency personnel on standby, oh my. And you're going to have, okay, you're going to tell me that you're going to have a main event for this event that is Tony Ferguson and Justin Gagey. One of those two, if not both of them, is going to go to the hospital when this is done. Speaking of which, uh, how, you know, how well is the local medical facilities dealing with the COVID outbreak? You're going to take fighters who just beat the hell out of each other, possibly concussed, possibly with other serious injuries, certainly with cuts, lacerations, concussions, some kind of concussive damage to the head, even if we're talking about, you know, sub-concussive force multiple times. You have to take them to a hospital that is then probably at least partially overwhelmed or at least swamped with cases dealing with cases of the coronavirus. What if they get sick there? How's your legal liability in that situation? Eh? I would sue their ass off. Ugh. So there's that. Again, you need... From a matter of ethics, at a bare minimum, you need competent medical personnel on site and the ability to transport fighters to medical facilities in the event of an emergency. At a bare minimum, this is the bare bones minimum ethical requirements to have a combat sports event, my opinion. And since we're talking about ethics, I think this is the only way to do it because you have to extrapolate that uh, scale. And you're going to be taking those people away from dealing with, again, the first, like, genuine global pandemic in a hundred years? Probably about a hundred years, actually, if we go back to the Spanish flu, which was the you know, 1920s. So right about a hundred years. I'll say a hundred to round up, just to, for rounding's sake. You're going to take necessary medical personnel away from that to do this. Because why exactly? That's the... Uh, so again, we got issues with so much of this. <laughs> Here's a better question. Why is the UFC so doggedly insisting on this event going forward? Because I don't have an answer. There's speculation. There's speculation that there's some pressure being put on by Endeavor, the parent company of the UFC, because Endeavor's a little strapped for cash. There's a serious question about how much of the UFC's cash reserves might have been depleted by that $300 million dividend payout they took out, which is largely speculated to be cover for the failed IPO of Endeavor as a parent company that they tried 
So there might be some financial pressure being put on there. There might be some language in, uh, in there might be some contractual language that the UFC could be taking a pretty serious financial hit if they don't produce X amount of content. I don't know that to be true. I think it, 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 I don't know that to be true. I'm speculating. This might just be Dana's ego. You know, you told me I can't. Everyone's telling me I can't. Now, so, boy, I'm just going to plow forward and the real-world consequences be damned. I... I don't know, guys. I mean, look, if you told me that we're getting Tony Ferguson and Justin Gagey, again, fight in a vacuum, how how could anyone be opposed to that fight in a vacuum? That is such a great fight. You have two unbelievably credentialed fighters, two violence machines that are going to clash. I mean, who could be against that under ideal circumstances? But we're not under ideal circumstances. We're not even close. We are unbelievably away from normal, right? I'm not necessarily one of the people who believe that this will have a giant trans that this uh, that the pandemic will have this giant transformative effect on life maybe i'm wrong okay i'm not an expert i'm so far from an expert but i'm i'm not sure i believe fully that this is going to change everything this is there's a lot of people that are going to lose a lot in terms of livelihood in terms of lives in terms of it, this is a terrible thing. It really, really sucks. I don't have to... That should go without saying, but I'm going to say it anyway. But I know uh, there's been a bunch of people who tend to be of the... This is going to change everything, and I'm not sure I buy that. But at a at a bare minimum, I think we can all come together on this following point right now. I'm recording this April 6th. And almost certainly on April 18th, barring a miracle, which you can't plan for, <laughs> it will be worse. Right? That is, again, all available projections. This is going to get worse by the time April 18th comes around. So, again, barring the... <laughs> Barring a miracle, at a bare minimum, we are not operating at normal right now. Can we all, I mean, come on, this is an indisputable fact. Can we all at least agree on that? And I'd love to, I'd love to say that with any degree of certainty, but there's giant segments of the population that don't believe the earth is flat or that vaccines are a good idea. So I'm not going to take this for granted, but we're not normal right now, guys. And we can't pretend that that's not the case. <laughs> um, I'm going to maintain this position until some, uh, unless or until something external changes the circumstance, this entire event should not happen. It just shouldn't. And I know it sucks. I really know it sucks. But... I think there are just too many real-world concerns right now. 
And I know there's a segment of the fandom that's like, well, sh- or there's a school of thought, rather, that this is the time when we should be trying to return to normalcy and yada, yada, yada. And uh, Spare me. Just please spare me that nonsense. All right? Let's assume this event goes off. Let's assume, okay? Sake of argument. You've now thrown... How many people, again, into this particular circumstance that have had to travel, some of them, at a bare minimum, most of them across state borders in the United States, a bunch of them probably internationally. I mean, there's fighters right now that are currently stranded in the United States. I think Marvin Vittori uh, is stranded here. Dude lives and trains in Italy, which is thankfully, again, based on current modeling on the downside of its dealing with the outbreak. But he flew here on the when the UFC said we're going to have... Because he was supposed to fight in, uh, at the London card. And the UFC said, no, nah, it'll be here in the States. Fly here. He flew here and he's stranded. <laughs> Freaking stranded. Literally can't go home. Because the country's locked down. Not just ours, his. So you, you're going to bring a bunch of people here. Some of them internationally. You're going to try to house them in some capacity. They're going to be dealing with... You're going to be dealing with the hospitality industry. You're going to be dealing with interfering with other people. You're then going to try to hold an event where you cram the fighters, their cornermen, judges, uh, whatever sort of uh, official oversight is going to be there. Because there's going to be some kind... There will be somebody, even if it's just, you know, the UFC trotting out Mark Ratner. There's going to be somebody there to help make sure things go smoothly from a regulatory standpoint, even if it's self-regulatory. The referees... I mean, who's to say... We are now, also, by the way, we're not able to uh, even remotely validate the competency of the officials involved. Now, combat sports judging being what it is, and I've yelled about that plenty, now we're going to remove even the limited safeguards of, you know, having to be sanctioned by a commission? Who's gonna, who, who's gonna, you know, verify the, who's gonna vouch for these people's competency? Who's gonna pay them? Is the UFC gonna pay them? If the UFC's paying the judges, boy, do we have a giant cl- conflict of interest there, don't we? Seriously. <laughs> giant conflict of interest. Even if it doesn't, and To be clear, I know there's a bunch of people who don't necessarily understand what that means. Even if the conflict does not necessarily manifest, that doesn't mean it isn't there. It is absolutely there. If the UFC is paying the judges to render decisions about fights, there's a, again, there is a giant conflict of interest there for a promotion to do that. Giant. And I I really shouldn't even have to spell that out, but hey... And then there's the medical personnel who we're going to be taking away from much more necessary circumstances for what is a luxury. I really... This is another thing. Fighting, any sort of athletic activity, any sort of sport, at a professional level for a consumer audience is a luxury item. And I know a lot of the fighters don't feel that way. It's their job. And I get that. 
I really do. And, you know, I, I think Luke Thomas has a video out right now that fighters should look into. Given how much of the stimulus package independent contractors in their position are entitled to, on the off chance anyone listening to this is a fighter or knows fighters, uh, go through those channels, get the you know get whatever you can from this because you should be in, you are entitled to a chunk of this, and you shouldn't have to be fighting. I mean, this is one of the, uh, this is one of those ridiculous arguments. Are you against fighters being paid? Buddy, if you paid the fighters properly in the first place, that wouldn't even be a point of contention. Anybody out there crying about boxers not getting paid, football players not getting paid, baseball players not getting paid? I'm sorry, that is such a ridiculous argument. All it does is expose a giant underlying issue with the sport that nobody really wants to talk about for any number of reasons. Am I against fighters being paid? It's ridiculous. The UFC is against fighters being paid. Let's be fair, frank about that. If the UFC were in favor of fighters being paid, the fighters would have a collective bargaining agreement and they'd get 50% of the network fees that ESPN pays them. Because that's what every other athletic organization gets from every other incident of their sport being broadcast. You know how much the NFL pays Fox? Or Fox pays the NFL, excuse me? You know how much? A lot of money. You know where half of that money goes? To the players. You know how much ESPN pays the UFC? They pay, they pay the UFC a lot of money. You know how much of that goes to the fighters? None of it. So please, tell me how I'm the one against fighter pay when the UFC is actively screwing them out of money at every given turn. Take that and shove it. That is a non-starter of an argument. Absolutely non-starter. So, again, you've taken medical personnel away for a luxury item. Now, and here's the other thing about this. And, all right, I'm, I might catch, I don't know if I'm going to catch a ton of flack for this, but I'm going to say it. Uh, this event will not do well on pay-per-view. Because that's where it's supposed to be held. And there's a few reasons for it. Let's, let's run down a few of them. Let's start with the big one. Uh, you lost the draw for this event. Khabib Nurmagomedov is a global superstar. That's just what he is. He draws traffic. He drives numbers. He is a star. He is a draw. There is no evidence about Tony Ferguson's drawing power at the pay-per-view level. There is no evidence about Justin Gaethje's drawing power at the pay-per-view level. Now, to the hardcore fan base, of course they're going to see this event. But, this is an... Okay, well, there's a few things that we need to... If we're going to talk about the financial realities of this, potentially, there's a few things we have to kind of talk about as well. So, we've lost the marquee drawing point to the biggest possible audience in Khabib, right? Tony, well-known in the hardcore audience, a little bit less well-known to the casual audience. But, I, and again, I'm prepared to acknowledge not a tremendous amount of evidence, but Tony hasn't headlined a pay-per-view since, uh, 
Was that was his last headlining event uh, when he fought Kevin Lee? I need to hang on, I want to confirm this. Yeah, okay, so UFC 216, right? Headlined Kevin Lee, Tony Ferguson, interim title. That's the I think only pay-per-view he has main evented. That thing did a buy rate of 200,000. Uh that's not good. <laughs> That's really not good. I mean, the co-main event was Demetrius Johnson and Ray Borg, and I love DJs as much as any sane person should. I've said this as well, never much of a draw. Which is a shame, but... So, the only pay-per-view that he has headlined didn't exactly uh, (laughs) do all that well at the box office. Uh, In the interim, he's been on... He's been on pay-per-view. He was on 229. He was the co-main event. So he was so one of his most recent fights was the co-main event of essentially the biggest pay-per-view the UFC's ever done. And then he was um, just a featured bout on 238, which was Cejudo and Marais as well as Shevchenko and I. And we don't have information on that one because that's after the UFC moved to ESPN Plus and I don't think they've released I'm not, I have, I'm going to have to double check. I do not believe that the specifics of that have been released publicly as of yet. Uh, but I, I have to imagine that wasn't exactly I mean, that didn't exactly do gangbusters if I when the UFC streaming stuff does great, they crow about it. When it doesn't, they don't. Again, they don't crow. Like it, they tend just not to answer the question, or to answer in very, to give such a use such vague language that they're essentially not answering. So there's an open question about how well this is going to draw, under ideal circumstances, right? World functions normally. Tony versus Justin. As your main event of a pay-per-view, how's that going to do under ideal circumstances? Open question. If my hunch would be uh, fair to again fair to Medlin, fair to low. Possibly I'm wrong about that, and I'm, I freely admit that. But again, just all I have right now is kind of the evidence at hand. Let's also talk about the fact that we're talking about financial realities here. Uh, unemployment right now in the in the United States is somewhere between 13 and 15 percent, and over the next couple of weeks, that's probably going to go up. We're looking at unemployment numbers, you know, that are kind of buttressing up against the Great Depression of the 1930s. Now, reasons for it being that way in this inst- this case are totally different. We're dealing with a global pandemic. But that doesn't change the fact that a lot of people are hurting, and you're going to throw this on pay-per-view behind a paywall, so you have to already have ESPN Plus for 5 bucks a month or 6 and then you're going to plunk down 70 bucks for this? I mean... I know, again, I know there's a school of thought that being the only game in town has has a lot of merit and I'm I'm just not convinced that it is. I mean again UFC Brasilia, granted, 
Not the same as not the same quality of event, slightly different circumstances, but an event that had zero competition did the worst numbers of any event since the UFC partnered with ESPN. Uh, the WWE held WrestleMania on Friday and Saturday. Too big for one night. And, I mean, I assume you guys don't actually care about my opinions on professional wrestling at this point. And fair enough, I'm not going to go into detail. If you're interested in that, you can check out the other some of the other shows on the 411 Podcasting Network. Larry Zonka has a fairly exhaustive breakdown along with Jeremy Lambert and... Uh, was it Scott Slimmer that showed up? I don't know. Uh, anyway, feel free to listen to Larry's thoughts. Larry is a professional wrestling coverage god. I don't know how he does it. But WrestleMania did not do the same type of traffic that previous iterations have. There wasn't a lot of the uh, the buildup. And, and let me be clear, I don't mean from WWE, I mean generally. And there's a lot of you know sports organiz- sporting you know coverage groups right now that are giving the uh, the WWE a bit of shine be- and a lot of coverage because they don't have anything else. But even that is not. I know a lot of people were like, "Yay, it was nice to see something like that. It was nice to see a degree of normalcy." Uh, I am not so sure. And I watched it, and I lost years of my life due to several of those matches just being boring and bad. Uh, Orton and Edge, I'm looking at you for taking approximately two and a half eternities. But it's... Even that is not... It's not, you know... The buzz isn't there. Not like normally. And I think there's a segment of the population that is going... That's going to, you know, see this, but... There's a lot of people that just, you know what, I can't afford it. And we're talking something that's, you know, two weeks out from where we are right now. More people are going to, people are going to be hurting more by that point. I, I just don't understand what financial incentives the UFC is looking for here. And I wish I knew the specifics. I wish I knew. But how... I don't imagine this event, given the totality of circumstance... Again, you've lost the big drawing portion of your main event. You've now got an event that will cater to, you know, the hardcore fan base. But not a lot of else. On top of unemployment numbers that this country hasn't seen in, you know, 90-some-odd years. I mean, even the you know, even the collapse of, you know, 07 didn't necessarily see unemployment hit the numbers it's at right now. It's... You're going to put on a, a $70 pay-per-view? Ugh. I genuinely hope this event... I mean, look, I hate to root for it to fail in that sense because I don't want it to fail. I just don't think it's responsible to hold this event or any combat sports event right now under these conditions. 
it's really unclear to me that uh, I think it was irresponsible of the WWE to hold WrestleMania. And they were able to tightly control a lot more of the production and a lot more of the aspects of this, uh, of their event, than the UFC will be able to control. I just, I don't think it's responsible. I don't think it should happen. And I hate to be that guy. I wanted to see Tony Khabib. I've wanted to see Tony Khabib for years. I want to see Tony and Gagey. I mean, come on. Those two, those two maniacs, please hook that into my veins. But it, nothing happens in a vacuum. And I can't ignore the realities of the world we all live in. So I'm, if I'm going to talk about stuff like that, and if you don't, if you think I'm being overly defeatist, then, hey, you know what? Maybe I am. I have a slightly pessimistic worldview in general. I acknowledge that. But I, and again, maybe something changes between now and then for the better. It would, again, it would be essentially a miracle. But as things currently stand and as things are projected to continue, I I don't think this should happen. I just don't. And if you want to be mad at me or say that I'm, you know, rooting for it to fail, I can't control how you feel. Nor would I if I could. I can only call it like I see it. And that's how I see it right now. And... I hope... Again, I hope something changes. And either the UFC comes to its senses to one degree or another, or something miraculous happens and the world goes back to normal quickly. Both of those things would be nice from where I sit. I just... I can't in good conscience support this event going forward, and maybe my support means nothing. Right? I'm one guy. Though if you listen to Dana White, I would be part of the media that is actively trying to sabotage his events. As though the majority of them aren't just... treated as a PR machine, and anyone that isn't part of their PR machine is, you know, blacklisted. As though MMA media has the pull to kill an event. That's ridiculous. Dana White's not saying where the event's going to take place because he does not know. They do not have a location. That's it. But it's easier to try and go into attack mode and dis- and throw up a smokescreen that the media will respond to in terms of defending themselves rather than actually address the issue of you not of you being two weeks out, not having a venue, not having a location for what's supposed to be an interim world title fight at this point. Yeah. Uh, So that's UFC 249 as we currently understand it. And maybe things will change between between now and then. I mean, things will change. Time will continue to progress and something different will occur between now and then, but we'll see. We'll just take this, you know, one week at a time and see what happens. Uh, but right now, I've, I've said my piece on that, such as it is. All right. <laughs>
Let's move on to, um, this should be fairly brief, the only other major news item of the last couple of weeks, uh, John Jones. John Jones in trouble once again with the law. John was arrested a couple of weeks ago on aggravated DWI, possession of an open container, failure to have insurance, and reckless discharge of a firearm. Now, those were just the arresting charges. Uh, he since entered into a plea deal, I believe. Uh, he, The only thing he actually pled to, the other charges were dropped. He pled guilty to, I think, the DWI, the aggravated DWI. Served a brief period of house arrest and uh, has a, his probationary period extended or uh, re- is on probation again. Um... John Jones needs help, man. I mean, again, if you kind of set aside some of the previous incidents that he's had, or the fact that his personality rubs you the wrong way, think about this. Let me just let me just paint you this picture. A mid-30s, a man in his mid-30s, at some unholy hour of the morning, I can't remember exactly what time this was, I think sometime between 3 and 5 a.m., don't quote me on that, but late night, early morning, a father of several of a couple of children is found in the midst of a pandemic, drunk on the streets of Albuquerque, New Mexico. And I mean, the I think the body cam footage for this leaked again because that always does. Um. I don't know what's wrong with John. I don't know if it's purely uh, alcoholism. I don't know if there's problems with his uh, fiance, who at this point is probably his common-law wife. I mean, they've been engaged for what five years, probably more. I don't know if there's problems at home uh, or some combination of the two, but. To the people in John's life, to whatever value my words have screaming into the void of the internet, he needs help. And I can only hope that the people around him will help him get it. Because, look, John got lucky. I mean, look, for anyone who might think that the, uh, uh, you know, the punishment from a legal standpoint was a slap on the wrist, you're not wrong. But at the moment, a lot of prosecutors and a lot of criminal justice institutions are looking for reasons not to put people in jail or prison. For a very specific reason, not only are those uh, institutions overcrowded to begin with, most of them, the the COVID-19 virus seems to be spreading through them like wildfire. So a lot of nonviolent offenses right now are, uh, again, a lot of courts are trying to find ways to not throw people in jail, if at all possible. And so John got kind of lucky on that. I mean, if, if John had been arrested for those same circumstances in the course of, you know, the world operating normally... I'm not saying he, you know, doesn't get some kind of, isn't able to, you know, his lawyers aren't able to get some kind of deal that is 
somewhat beneficial to him. I don't think he gets that at all. Uh, I, I mean, look, a lot of a lot of uh, prisons and jails are like furloughing or you know finding house arrest options or releasing a lot of their low-level non-violent offenders to try and deal with you know the reality of COVID in the state in the while we have you know these giant prison complexes. And I'm not about to go into a referendum on the American prison system, so I'm going to leave it at that. I, they are overcrowded. That is empirically accurate. Whether you, Whatever you think the solution for that might be, I leave up to you as an individual, but they are overcrowded. And now a lot of people are getting sick. A lot of people will get sick. That's inevitable at this point, I think, for most of them. So, yeah, again, John little bit fortunate there little bit fortunate um i don't know i don't know what the ufc is going to do if anything i mean i know some people have said that he should be stripped of the belt i'm not sure i agree with that and let me be clear about this this is not me condoning john's behavior but the ufc only punishes people when they are forced to via public pressure or when they find themselves in a circumstance where they can't pass the buck. Uh, The UFC stripped John of the title after his um, uh, after his felony hit and run because there was serious uncertainty about John's immediate future. And John was out for a while. Given the logistics, I think that was the right call. We're not really at that point right now. So they don't really have a logistical internal reason. And uh, law enforcement has already been at play. If the UFC strips John of his title in this instance, first of all, we already know that they as a promotion are just full of hypocrites. I mean, anybody remember, uh, you know, the serious concerns about uh, Conor, the UFC just kind of blindly going ahead with Conor Khabib when there was the wake of felony accusations around Conor McGregor and Dana's response was that cost Conor a lot of money and you know the courts have had their say uh, it, the reality is the UFC has already set their precedent and to anyone that might say well what about the UFC's code of conduct here's my question what about it I mean seriously what about it the UFC has that on the books as a brief means of insurance against public scrutiny and backlash. They don't enforce it unless they really want to. You know why they don't enforce it unless they really want to? Because there's a very, very serious question about how much how much influence like that a business organization can impose onto independent contractors. The UFC really likes that fighters are independent contractors, not employees. They are going, and they have shown, historically, to do everything in their power not to rock that boat. And if they start really trying to enforce a code of conduct onto the fighters, that's another thing that kind of muddies the water about where fighters stand on the classification system as far as independent contractor versus employee goes. And the UFC doesn't want that. So they're really only going to pull the code of conduct card uh, 
the, you know, their behavior code. When they have plenty of other things they can hide behind, or there's enough public outcry surrounding a circumstance that they can feel justified in a bunch of other people not looking too closely at it. Uh, I mean, that's just kind of where that is. And so I don't imagine the UFC will strip him of the title. And given my desire for the UFC to be consistent about crap like this, I don't think they should, given their own internal precedent. But that's just me. And again, I know John rubs a lot of people the wrong way, and I don't blame anybody for being fed up with him. But I'm looking at this purely from a, you know, UFC internal logic standpoint, even though that's something of a... UFC and logic is a contradictory term. Uh, I fully expect John will be fighting probably by the end of the year. Uh, Against who and under what circumstances, I don't know, but... Um, yeah, I saw, again, I saw a fair number of people that were going, you know, like, this is disgraceful conduct for a champion. Uh, guys, this is combat sports. I could introduce you to a list of professional fighters with worse behavior than John Jones, who suffered zero promotional, you know, back, not to say public backlash, but zero promotional backlash. Again, do I have to mention Floyd Mayweather? How about Mike Tyson? How about uh, just some pro- other prominent you know, fighters like Mayorga and some of the terrible things he said to Oscar De La Hoya in the build-up to their fight? I mean, the list of people who behave badly, who participate in combat sports professionally, whatever one you happen to choose, is a really, really long list. And I get that you know people don't like John, and I don't blame you for not liking him. But I, John isn't the champion of model behavior. He's the champion of fighting in a cage. Is kind of my take on that. Now, if his behavior goes so far that he should be that you know, he becomes a big enough detriment to society that he needs to be incarcerated. And let me be clear, I mean that purely from an actual standpoint, not your opinion. Because in your opinion, maybe we passed that point already, and I think there's a valid argument. In actuality, that's not where we are. If John actually goes to jail, then okay. He's not eligible to be champion, he should be stripped of the belt. Clear. If the guy just wants to mess up his life, I don't know what that has to do with his status as a champion of fighting. I just don't. And maybe that's an overly reductive point of view on my part, and maybe it's, you know, not helpful and not conducive to John's personal well-being. And sure, I'll acknowledge that, man. I want John to get the help he needs, and if that means he has to step away from the sport, step away from the sport. If the man goes on sabbatical or retires, sure, he's not eligible to be champion. But I don't think you... And I mean to to a lot of people making these arguments. I don't think you want this sport. I don't think you would like the version of this sport where everyone's actions are policed to that level. I really don't. There's a reason. I can't remember where I heard this, but I think it's true. 
in in combat sports generally, there's always room for you know Captain America, the clean cut good guy. But there's really only room for one. It, I I just don't think people would like the version the the version of MMA that would exist if the UFC actually were in a position to enforce that kind of code of conduct. I mean, they'd have to be fining every fighter basically after every press conference. In, 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 a sense, in actuality. If they wanted to actually adhere to it. And they don't. They actually want to promote that kind of bad blood and trash talking. So they don't enforce it. And... I, the number of people that would not stick around if the UFC were that sanitized is pretty big. And the UFC wants to appeal to the widest possible audience. That's just kind of the reality. You can go too far. You can absolutely turn people off with it. But Mike Tyson, at the height of his drawing power, was, you know, thought of badly as a person. For good reason. In a lot of ways. <laughs> But he was one of the one of the bigger star, one of the bigger stars the sports ever produced. Floyd Mayweather's the biggest attraction of boxing in the last, you know, seven what, five seven years. And Floyd's never been a good guy, you know. Not to say he's been a bad guy. He's a he's a human being. There's good and bad in him, as with all, almost all people. But combat sports thrives on that kind of drama being made manifest. And I think, consequently, I tend to think if you're going to strip a champion, needs to be for more reason than they got in. Again, John needs help, but if I'm the UFC, I don't know. Maybe the UFC wants to try and make a point about trying to help the athlete, and we'll try to force... Uh, some kind of rehab stipulation onto him. Um, I doubt it, but who knows. So I imagine John will be fighting again before the end of the year, or maybe first quarter of next year at the latest. Um, yeah, that's kind of where we are with that. So John got lucky, given the circumstance of the world, and obviously has some very good lawyers at a bare, min- <laughs> at a bare minimum. Uh, Okay, I think that's everything. Uh, Let me check Twitter one more time and see if something else crazy happened in the world of MMA. Well, uh, no, I don't think anything else crazy has happened that I can see, so... Let's go ahead and just do some plugs and get on out of here. Alright, um... Can you find me? Most recently, Mark Radulich and I did a couple of events, a couple of things. We did a review of The Gentleman on the Rattle and Broadcasting Network, and we did a series review for BoJack Horseman, the Netflix series. And had a lot of fun talking about both, so you can find my thoughts on both of those two properties in the Rattle and Broadcasting Network. Um, I, I mentioned already my Dominic Cruz study. I am working right now on one for Shogun, which I think I already mentioned. I, I don't think it'll come out this week. I think it'll come out next week. Uh, so be on the lookout for that. For you fans of Shogun, I will have a skill study and career retrospective look at who is, I believe, the third best light heavyweight of all time. I think he's. I think he only falls behind Daniel Cormier and John Jones. 
So, uh, you can be on the lookout for that if you're so interested. And, yeah, uh, if more stuff breaks relative to MMA next week, we'll be back. If not... Uh, you know what? Yeah, we'll be back next week. That'll be Sunday the 12th. Uh, that will be, at a minimum, a preview for 249, such as it will be, I guess. Uh, we'll see what happens. Until next time, everybody, thank you all again so very much for listening. Thank you for sharing us with your friends. Thank you for sharing us with your enemies. I don't care who you share me with. <laughs> we'll be back next week. Until then... As always, stay safe out there and continue to be well, be safe, and behave.